Welcome to the podcast for bravetestimony.com. So tonight I'm going to talk about cycles of addiction, um, but specifically cycles of how your brain processes addiction. All right. So the first thing we want to talk a little bit about here is the idea that what we're talking about is twofold. This comes out of a series I did in Toronto um, some time ago where I covered the four basic ideas behind addiction and overcoming addiction. And that is, you know, I talk about this a lot with you guys, but knowing your God through experience is better than knowing him through like knowledge, like uh, intellect, right? Or study, knowing God through experience or knowing yourself through experience, knowing your enemy through experience, knowing your team through experience. And fifthly, knowing your wife, those are all, um, sort of attitudes or journeys that you have to go on in order to become stable, in order to bring, uh, to, to put an end to chaos, is to actually have love encounters with God, overcome the devil, uh, learn to fight as a team, you know, these kinds of things, love encounters with your wife, love encounters with one another. These are the things that make you better. And one of the things that comes up is loving yourself, uh, learning about your pitfalls, learning about what triggers you, this uh, knowing yourself also includes things like all the, the hormone uh, teaching, all the stuff to do with dopamines, uh, serotonins, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so tonight I'm going to touch on a little bit of that. Um, this stuff comes from some uh, neuropsychopathology. There is some real psychology that happens in our brain uh, when it's not reinforced with positive long-term rewards. If, you, if you're feeding it with a weaker source or an inferior or, or perverted version of the real thing, you will actually lose and create a dependency. You'll lose uh, ground in your emotions and you'll become depressed and you'll have anxiety and you'll lose ground in your ability to process emotions well and you'll lose ground in your joy and your long-term hope. You might feel happy in the moment, but over time you will deplete your dopamines and you'll increase your dependency on the drug that's driving you towards feeling good. You'll start to increase your dependency on the drug and not learn to create dependency on the Holy Spirit. Everything we do is about trusting God and then trusting others. And then ultimately that includes trusting ourselves. And one of the ways we do that is learning when we're lying to ourselves, learning, you know, what's triggering us, learning whether the neurons that fire together are the neurons that wire together. So the, when the synapses are firing, they actually start to create neural pathways in your brain. The neural pathways in your brain cause you to get into habitual behavior. And, and you've been doing this for however old you are and however long you've been doing it, let's say 20 years or so, you've been in this habitual process of meeting your needs in perhaps an unhealthy way. And so it takes a concerted effort to shift your, the wiring of your brain in a different direction. And that's predominantly what we're talking about tonight. I want you to sort of think about the brain in sort of three parts. Um, and we're going to get into all these three parts in a minute. But they each have a specific role in how we uh, manage uh, our happiness, uh, our mood, uh, the way we deal with mood swings and stuff like that. The first is this basal ganglia, which is the habitual learning part of the brain. And so when, when you're, let's say you're intoxicated or you're binging, you know, this is where you begin to behave in this sort of pathological, um, partly obsessive way um, where you're, you're lying to yourself and to others. It's, 
it's a it's sort of the the false sense of be, of belonging and love it's all those things that create the feeling without the actual substance so when you like we'll use a simple example i've done this many many times before um, when your hormones start to trigger you towards the opposite sex at a very early age you have all of the hormones and all of the desire but none of the ability to actually keep a girlfriend let alone be married and so you naturally start to, and at the same time you discovered you have a penis which is a shocking thing you're like whoa this penis works and it's not just for peeing oh my goodness it does other things and so you've got on one hand you've got pleasure happening naturally on your own terms and you have displeasure or discomfort in relationships and so what you do is you start to slowly substitute self-pleasure for the pleasure you would receive in a proper relationship. And this all happens in the basal ganglia and it's subconscious. You don't realize it's even happening, causing you to look for the quick fix, to look for the way to feel good in the moment. You'll hear words like, I got this, but subconsciously they're running away. They don't want any help. They're like, I don't want help. Don't help me. Don't try to help me. Don't try to help me. If you help me, I won't be able to meet my needs. It is extremely difficult to break the cycle when you've already got your, your hands on the pornography, where you're engaged in, in, in doing the behavior that's unhealthy for you. You don't want anyone to stop you. And it is very hard to break the cycle. In fact, sometimes we encourage you when you, you might've had this homework before, that if you're in the middle of that, Give somebody a phone call. It'll diffuse the situation really fast. Uh, we joke about that, of course, because it's hard to phone somebody when you're standing in the bathroom looking in the mirror. We're hardwired to meet our needs in an unhealthy way, and it's very difficult to break this part of the cycle. Next part is this extended amygdala, or amygdala. Uh, this is the place where we quickly make decisions about good or bad. The amygdala is like, fight, flight, a faint thing that's going on in the brain that, that automatically responds. And it's where we get, we, we instantly assign reward or we remove reward from something so we know not to do it again. So this is where if you burn your hand on the stove, immediately you're like, I don't want to do that again. And your brain automatically fires it up. So next time you see a stove, you don't touch it. When you've planned to go out and act out and then you act out, you don't get the fullness of the reward so actually you get a negative effect, which is an increase in stress. You get a, def you get a deficit of, of, of dopamines, that, more deficit of dopamines than you expected to get from the behavior. But you get just enough to make you want it again. Just enough to make you want it again. Next part. Now, at this point, someone is just full of regret. They have a language in their, in their you hear similar language like, I really need you guys' help or, I don't know what I'm going to do, or I don't got this. I, and they feel very lost. And actually, this is one of the best places you can help them. This is probably the most powerful thing that men's group does is right in this zone. This zone is where, where we fit in the best. We don't fit best in the other areas as much, but this is where we can really help somebody look at their stuff. And typically, our job in this moment is to turn somebody from the way they're thinking about it being somebody else's fault and not having any responsibility to going, I'm responsible. I can do this. Um, I'm stronger than I realized. This isn't as bad as I thought it was. People still love me. I still feel appreciated. Oh, I can do this. This is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. 
So everything, every part of those questionings that we talked about last week in the, in the 10 different things, that happens right here. That happens in the breaking the cycle questions. Like, how's that working out for you is a great question. What are you going to do about that? When are you going to do something about that? How about you do it by next week? These are the conversations we can have at this moment. And then, of course, we have this part, which is the prefrontal cortex. This is the place where you plan stuff and you execute it. This is the, this is the beginning of the hunt. You know, everything's going well. You've come out of men's group. You feel really good. You've shared your stuff. You've got a plan. You've got some homework. And you get into the week, and now it's Wednesday, or maybe it's Thursday. And, you know, we've said this before, but maybe you lose your job on Tuesday, and you're feeling kind of crappy, and your wife's out of town. And subconsciously, you begin to think, well, that's okay. I'll, maybe I'll just go to, go to a location I know where I can ogle somebody. Or maybe I will, I'll watch this movie, and even though it's, you know, it's pretty good, I know there's going to be some stuff in because it's rated R. You know, maybe you consciously don't make a plan, but you know you're starting to hunt because you're looking for M-rated TV shows or R-rated videos. You're, you're starting to look for the, for the, um, the YouTube videos that, that you know, are scantily clad. Your Instagram is starting to fill up with pictures of girls and not pictures of things that are a little more healthy for you. And so we have this, this thing that starts to happen when we run through a cycle of preoccupation. We begin to anticipate, and the hormones start to kick in, we begin to anticipate the rush of the action. This is the, the moment where we make tiny little decisions all the way along the way to sabotage our success. I don't know where you're at in your cycle this week, but when you're sabotaging your success, it might take months. You might be doing really well, but subconsciously you're, you're needling away at, at, well, you know, it's not, it's not really porn if I, if I look at a magazine with the bathing suits. It's not really porn if I, you know, somebody, if some, some movie just happens to throw that scene in, then you find yourself thinking about that scene over and over again. You can't wait to go back and look at it on Netflix. And ultimately, during this phase, we also have men saying things like, I got this, I don't need your help. I got this, I got this, it's fine, I'm doing really well. I'm doing fine, I'm doing great. And this is a really good time for you to ask questions like, hey, how are you doing with your homework? Hey, did you follow up? Hey, you didn't call me this week. If, if you got a phone call like that in the middle of your hunt, it reinforces that there's people that love and care about you. When he's thinking thoughts that are not healthy, when he's beginning to preoccupy himself with the anticipation of having a reward, that's a great time to make a phone call. Just phone someone and go, man, I am looking forward to watching this terrible show, or I am, whatever your case might be. I'm looking forward to carbs, or whatever your issue might be. I don't know, mine's carbs right now, so I can speak about that. And that's when you begin to break the wiring in your brain, and you start to fix some of the things that are going on. This is a typical cycle of the use and abstinence model. You notice at the bottom there's a mood swing thing going on, and your mood goes up when you use. So you use, your mood goes up, and you don't use for a while. You're in this abstinence stage. But the longer you stay in abstinence, the more your prefrontal cortex begins to kick in, and you begin to, to begin to dream and to plan about acting out. And as you do that, you'll get sadder and sadder and sadder. And what happens is you quickly try to find a way to act out. And when you do act out, you end up dipping way lower than you were the time before. You see the beginning is over here. 
I mean, this is obviously depends on who you are and how your mood swings work. But this is what typically happens is you drop lower when you hit the, the withdrawal or negative or um, um, amygdala kick in, and amygdala kicks in and you have that negative effect because you don't quite get the recognition that you were hoping for. The, co the reward cognition doesn't happen and you don't get the reward. So you begin to go, well, I just need to use a little more porn this time and you relapse. Uh, and then you start to feel a little bit better, but not quite as good as the first time you did it, but you feel good. Now, typically in a situation like this, uh, men will tend to use more porn or more drugs or more alcohol or more things. So they'll get a little more drunk than they were last time. Um, and, and then they start to feel better again. The minute they start to feel better again, they abstain. In absence, they, they feel like they're getting better because they're abstaining. Oh, I'm getting better. I don't need any help. And then they start to crash. And as they start to go down past the mood being stable, as they go down to the sadness zone, they start thinking, I don't really want any help. I don't want anyone to phone me this week because they're going to put me off doing what I want to do. And of course, the cycle continues. The problem is that the greater the dependency on the substance to make you feel good, um, the deeper you're going to go into a depressive cycle, into a low mood cycle. Sometimes I meet people who say they're not struggling, but they're literally like comatose or they're, or typically they're very, very, very depressed all the time. And that's usually because there's some kind of either early or late dependency on these, on the substance that's causing them to become de um, not just dependent, but be become trapped in a cycle of sadness or a cycle of anxiety or whatever the case might be. But even so notice the top thing, doesn't change, except it increases. But you still get these bouts of abstinence that kick in. And you still think, well, I'm doing fine because I'm not doing it this week. But slowly, this mood curve is what you've got to watch. Generally, am I, am I getting sadder and sadder and sadder? Is my whole life losing hope? Is my whole life losing joy? These are the things that we're talking about. And of course, the later on you get, you can't even get out of the cycle of sadness and depression because you literally are completely dependent. And this is where we get this thing called, um, uh, I'm trying to remember what it is, it's the it's neuro something staining, where your brain actually gets stained or it gets wired into a cycle of, of um, constant dependency and addiction. So addiction doesn't quite kick in until later in the cycle. So it's important that we, we disconnect the cycle. This is from, fight the new drug a better way to look at it in some ways this is a when you, you can see the starting over there and as you start on the top left there and you travel around you start to get uncomfortable or you start to have neglect in your life or maybe you are lonely or maybe you're tired maybe the job stressed you out whatever the case might be you start to want relief from your discomforts of life this is a great time to think about your life if you Looking for relief, and Doug talks about this as being protesting. If you're starting to protest the world around you because you're not happy, because we think happiness is the biggest goal, right? Then you start to look for ways to solve your happiness and we reach a choice point. Now, of course, it'd be simple if we just chose a healthy response to discomforts. And that's the goal right there. If you can just do that, you're fine. You'll be okay. Keep choosing healthy things. Choose to work out. Choose to go see friends. Choose to build something, choose to finish something, choose to clean something, choose to go do some weeding, 
choose to uh, clean your car, choose to tidy your room. These are the things that are healthy responses to the discomforts of life. Unfortunately, we start to entertain other ideas. We start to escape the life of discomfort. We start to entertain the idea. And remember, this is that, that prefrontal cortex thing, right? This is us uh, beginning to hit autopilot and our brain just starts to rationalize, well, if I just look at this one video, it won't be that bad. I can handle one video. And then you get another choice point to break the cycle. Do I go back to a healthy choice? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe actually when instead of going back to a healthy choice, I can leave autopilot that, that, that neurons are wired together and are firing together. And it's just you're in autopilot, just going, 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 going. And pretty soon you move towards using. This is that whole idea of binge or intoxication. Your basal ganglia is like kicking in to try to find a way to make the pain go away in an unnatural way. And you start, you start the beginning of what's called the ritual phase. In the middle of the autopilot, you have another choice though. Even in the middle of that, you could still phone somebody. You could still make a healthy choice. Even if you acted out once, you can still make a healthy choice. But typically, your brain will rationalize, well, I did it once. I might as well watch these other five movies. Oh, I might as well spend a week watching porn. I might as well not sleep and watch porn for a week. So you're at the using phase and you get into a binge phase and you just binge out. Um, and then you begin to experience the harmful effects, number four. And this is when you start to feel worse than you felt before. And it actually reinforces your discomfort. This doesn't actually help you with your discomfort, this reinforces your discomfort and of course makes you want to use again. You can still break the cycle here. This is the best place to break it when you're in the worst remorse. And this is when you come to group, this is when you share your stuff, this is when you get to make a choice to actually step towards freedom and commit to change. So every time you hit rock bottom, commit to change and pick yourself back up again, make some healthy choices. We've got to get rid of the need to fight for our happiness at the expense of our long-term joy and hope. What I mean by that is, you know, if we make feeling good the goal, no matter how grand the gesture is, in other words, if we try our best to feel, just to feel good, um, we chip away at our confidence, our joy, and our hope. Look at those cycles, think about those cycles. When you, when you start to do little tiny things, even if you do big things, no matter what you do, if you're making happiness, your feelings, the goal, like I just want the feelings to go away, you're taking away the opportunity of your future to bear the kinds of fruit that you need in your life, the kinds of things that have long-term joy, long-term confidence, long-term hope. Now, I want you to think about it in a different way. Small, tiny investments along the way that reinforce your hope, they might take longer, but they stabilize your world and destroy uncertainty, despair, and cowardness. I'm gonna read that again. Small little investments that you make along the way that reinforce your hope. They may take longer, but they stabilize your world and they destroy uncertainty, despair, and cowardice. So what do I mean by that? I mean, take a long, long look at your behaviors every day. What are you doing? Like think about it as an as a, as a investment in a financial investment. You can give somebody a hundred bucks and hope it grows. That's great. Or you can give them a dollar a week for the rest of your life. 
And what you'll see is that little dollar a week starts to build up. The $100 might be spent and gone and maybe won't make as much interest, but the dollar upon dollar upon dollar starts to build and build and build. That thing, we're not talking about that. We're talking about tiny, manageable, doable, consistent investments into your future. So little things like you weigh up your relationships. Uh, some relationships are healthy for you and some are unhealthy. And maybe you spent your whole week with unhealthy people. And that's not really doing very much good for your joy and for your long-term hope and for your, for your bravery. So maybe you want to make consistent, repetitive investments in healthy relationships that give you good, positive feedback and reinforce love and belonging. You do that consistently for a long, 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 long time. Now, sure, it's harder than quickly fixing your pain. But if you do that long term, what you get out of that is friendship, real friendship, the people that love you no matter what. And that is way better than you using people to get your needs met. And so that's one example. It might be something as simple as you don't realize that the room you're living in is a reflection of what's happening on the inside of you. But also changing what's happening on the outside of you starts to affect what's happening on the inside of you. You start to feel safer. You start to feel more at peace. You start to feel more joy coming back to your life. It's easier to go out and sit on the patio when the patio is tidy. Now, this sounds like a little tiny thing, but let's say you do that with every part of your life. You tidy the your desk in front of you, you tidy, I just tidied my office this weekend, it was great. I started to feel this euphoria coming back and this lightness in my environment. And that contributed to the other things I was doing, which contributed to the other things I was doing. And it becomes a snowball effect of success and hope and joy and confidence. And you start to destroy the chaos that is actually causing you to act badly in the first place. So I'll say those things again, make small investments, that reinforce your hope, even though they might take longer, make these small investments, like phone somebody when you're in, str in struggle, and you will stabilize your world. Remember that mood thing? You'll stabilize your world, and you will destroy uncertainty, which we're mostly afraid of, and you'll destroy despair, which is basically a manifestation of fear, and you will destroy your cowardness. That's the, that thing that did you when you hide from trying to solve your stuff, you'll destroy that. And stop making feeling good the solution.